The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, church, if you have your Bibles... If you could grab them and uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to pick up in verse 10. So as we dive into this today, uh, context matters, amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, I know this would never happen to you. I know you would never be guilty of this. But there is this tendency in us as human beings to take things a bit out of context, We see it all over the place. We see it in our media and social media. Don't get me started on that. We see it in politics. Hopefully we don't see it from our pulpits. But we see this all, we see this so often. And and at times, to be fair, this is not intentional. It's not intentionally done. However, at times, to be fair, it is quite intentional. Um, Taking something out of context is when you take some form of communication, whether that be written or verbal, and you just take it and you remove it from its surrounding circumstance in a way that, that distorts its intended meaning, right? Taking it out of time. Now, uh, no doubt that we see this all over the place and we know this, and so you would think that that would make us really diligent in like catching this. But the reality is, the truth is, is that it is far easier to guess, to assume, to ignore context than it is to do the hard work of discovering it. Let me give you an example. If I give you a quote from a book, it is much easier just to grab hold of that quote, say it, uh, put it on, post it on your, your wall or something, than it is for you to go pick up that book, read it through to see the context that's surrounding that quote from that author. Context is hard, but it is so important because there are so many times, and this is what I'm getting at, that context will change the way you understand or apply something. There are so many times, it's true in our media, it's true in quotes from books, and church, it is absolutely true when it comes to our Bibles. Now, let me tell you something that is absolutely going to shock you. Ready? The Bible has been used, it has been quoted in order to support all kinds of evil things. Um, Quoted to support cults, cult movements, violence, oppression, so much else. I want to give you an example of this just to get our, our wheels turning, all right? This comes from Psalm 137. The psalmist says, and I quote, Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Amen. Amen. Put that on a bumper sticker, right? (laughs) Out of context. That right there, church, can lead us to some harm. Amen? Out of context. I mean, uh, here's the reality, though. When we take this, this goofy little verse, and we do the hard work of context... Work, by the way, this isn't our text. We're not going to preach on this this morning, so I'm not going to have time to do all that work here. But as you do the work and you place these two quirky lines of Hebrew poetry back into the psalm, better yet, place it back into the context of these psalms, 
Better yet, take it and place it back into the historic context of their captivity in Babylon when this was written. Better yet, take this and place it into the context of the scripture as a whole. What you're going to do is you're going to be able to see this verse in its context. Understand what it means. Understand it's an imprecatory psalm. Look that one up. Make sure that you're, you're guarding against the abuses that's, that could happen in taking that psalm out of context. But as you see, that takes work. Follow me? Context matters, and it should matter to you every time you pick up your Bible. Each and every time. This is absolutely true when we approach 1 Corinthians 7. Um, too often we jump straight to application. And we ask, what does this text mean for me? How does this text apply to my life? How does this text interact with my life? Before we stop and we ask the all-important question, what does this text actually say? What does this text actually say? And context is so incredibly important as we ask that question. And let me tell you, context has rocked my world this week as I've studied this text. I want us to do a little context work. And, and I want us to look at three aspects of context together, and they're going to build on each other. The context of the church, of the city, and of the situation. Let me start with the context of the church. Now, Paul planted this church in Corinth about under three years before this letter was written. We know this because Paul planted this church in Corinth in Acts 18. And then we read that he spent a little, right around three years in the city of Ephesus, as we read in Acts 19. And it was in that time in Ephesus that Paul wrote this letter to this church in Corinth. So what does that mean? Besides just giving us a timeline, why does this matter? Well, it means that this church was a young church. It means that this church was less than three years old. More specifically, this means that this church was comprised of young believers. Again, less than three years old. And more than that, let's get really specific here. This church would have been made up of men and women who were married before hearing the gospel. They were married, they came to faith before hearing the gospel and, and following Jesus. So basically, just do the math here, every couple who had been married for more than three years. Every couple in this church who had been married before or longer than three years would have been married before coming to faith. So lock that one in your mind and let's build on that. This is going to be very important. The second, I want us to consider the context of the city. We've said this before, we've talked about this, but, but Corinth was a little bit like New York City and Las Vegas came together and had a baby. It was the center of business and, and trade, and, and also it was this sex-driven city with all kinds of sexual immorality, sexual exploration. It was known for this. It was a pagan. It was a lost city. This was the culture, church, that these new believers that we just talked about lived in and ministered in. This was their world, and this is so important because it shows us the pressures that these brothers and sisters were facing as they followed Christ, and that leads us to the third thing that we need to see when it comes to context. 
let's for a moment consider, consider the context of the situation that Paul was addressing specifically. See, in, in chapter 7, it starts by letting us, in that, letting us know that Paul was receiving questions about um, some confusion that had been coming up in regards to marriage and human sexuality in this church. And we get kind of a front row seat as Paul addresses it. See, this Corinthian church, remember young, and remember in a very pagan city, right? So what they were doing is they were thinking about this, seeing all the sexual corruption around them, and they were, think, they were like, should we just throw in the towel and throw this whole sex thing out? Should we just not do this anymore? And Paul, again, like we talked about last week, says, no, don't do that. Bad idea. Swing and a miss. Don't do that. Bad, bad idea. Instead, bring sex back into the context that it was designed to be in. So just keep in mind, let's, let's bring this full circle. These were married couples saying this. The asking this. These were married couples who were wanting, considering throwing the towel in on sex, throwing the towel in church on their marriage. And why? In order that they could follow Jesus. Just take that in. In order that they could better follow Jesus. And here in our text, what we are going to do is drop right into this, right into Paul's response to this. We're going to drop right in. Um, the last couple weeks, we, we've been digging into this. I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you, if you missed it. But here, Paul is going to specifically address divorce in and with these believers here in Corinth. So with that context laid, this is going to be very important as we dig into this verse. Let's look at verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate, and just pause here, the word separate, Paul is specifically addressing divorce. There's no, in this culture, there wasn't a different thing. It wasn't like separation, divorce, it was one and the same. So when Paul uses this language, he's referring to divorce here. He says, when uh, the wife should not separate or divorce from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So... Paul is saying here, wives, you should not divorce your husbands. Husbands, you should not divorce your wives. And if you do, you should remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. All right? Now, as I say that, there's many of us in this room where thoughts just begin to kind of flood our minds. What about that situation? What about this situation? What, what about... When that happens, doesn't the Bible say it's okay if, fill in the blank, and, and we come, these, these thoughts flood our minds. But church, again, as we read a text like this, before we attempt to apply, before we attempt to apply this text to the situation of our life, first, we need to be able to take this text and, and read it in its context, and after we do that, then we can take the text and put it into the context of the whole of Scripture. Here's, here's the reality. Marriage is a gift from God. It is a covenant that pleases God. It is a covenant that honors Him. It lives out the design that He put before us to live our lives. 
right? And, and it's a covenant between a man and a woman for a lifetime, as, as, we, as we say, until death do we part, amen? That's, that's marriage. And Paul reminds this church, the covenant you made means something. Don't break it. And remember the context, the people of Corinth, remember what they were wondering, remember what led them to ask this question. They were, should we be married at all? They, they were wondering, should we leave this in order that we could become better Christians because they're waiting me down here? Should we be single? I mean, Jesus, what, Paul, you are. Should we just... Put this aside, and now Paul here is reminding him, no, you should not leave your spouse in order to better follow Jesus. Let me repeat that. Do not leave your spouse in order that you can better follow Jesus. Don't do this. God is honored in your marriage, so honor him through your marriage. Does that mean divorce is never acceptable? Does that mean divorce is this unpardonable sin? Does this mean divorce should never happen? Well, again, church, context. We need to look at the whole of Scripture to seek counsel on these questions. We need to understand what Paul is doing specifically in this text. Paul, his intent here is with love and with truth to address a situation that was unfolding here in this church. His intent is not here, church, to give the end-all, be-all word on divorce in each and every situation. And this is why it is important to take this and to understand what this teaches, our text today included, but to understand what this teaches in regard to marriage and sex and divorce. Take what the Bible teaches and bring it together to gain this understanding of God's plan and design. Scriptures like what we're looking at right now, digging into that. Scriptures like Matthew 19, where Jesus says that marital infidelity is not a mandate for divorce, but it gives the spouse freedom to it. Scriptures like um, a little bit further down in verse 15 where Paul addresses the issue of desertion. Again, not as a mandate for divorce, but, but here, as restoration is still in view, but Paul here addresses the reality of desertion in marriage. More than that, scriptures like Philippians 2, Ephesians 5, that call us and give, this, give us this clear picture of how we are to love, how we are to serve, how we are to care for and treat our spouse. The Bible has so much to say about the way that you are to love your spouse. The Bible has so much to say about God's plan and his design for marriage and even specifically about divorce. And this morning, as we are a bit zoomed in on this text in 1 Corinthians 7, I encourage you, if you're here and you have some unanswered questions in your heart after we've dug into this, dig into the word of God. Don't just sit here and, 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 and be content. Dive and dig in and ask, Lord, what do you have to say in your word? Help me. And then seek help. Because this morning, we're, we're going to zoom in on 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to zoom in. We're going to look at this. This is incredible for us this morning. Um, but if you need help 
dig into God's word and seek help to understand this. But as we zoom in here, what we're going to see is Paul is very clear, saying, Corinthian church, if you're looking for the best way to follow Christ, it's not by leaving your spouse. If you're looking for the best way that you can follow Jesus, it's, the answer is not to leave your spouse. It's to know that God's will for you is to love your spouse the way Christ loved the church, to give yourself for your spouse, to honor him in the covenant of marriage, and that we should strive to do that in our marriage. And so then Paul continues, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. Now, let's just pause Maybe some of you read this and thought, what on earth? Because if you notice, in verse 10, Paul says, not I, but the Lord. Then you have in verse 12, he flips that, and it's opposite, and he says, I, not the Lord. What on earth is happening there? What, What is going on here? Because isn't all scripture the word of the Lord? Like, isn't all scripture God-breathed, inspired the very word of the Lord? Answer, that was puny. Answer, yes, all scripture. Here's what's happening here. In verse 10, Paul is telling the church, hey, listen, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he was here on this earth, taught explicitly about this. He said this. He spoke to this. In contrast, in verse 12, he says, while Jesus was here on earth, he did not explicitly teach on this. Right? You follow me? No? Okay. So (laughs) Paul here is not saying in verse 10, right, that yes, this part is super inspired. This part is from God himself. But you know that stuff in verse 12, that was my opinion, Take it or leave it, but take verse 10 more seriously, right? No, 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 no. All scripture is inspired by God, true and profitable. There is no scripture that is more inspired than any other. Let me say it like this. The red letters in your Bible are not more important or more inspired than the black ones, if your Bible has that, right? Here, All scripture is inspired, fully inspired. So when Paul says this in verse 12, I'll get off the rabbit trail. He is fully inspired by God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? That was a little better. All right, verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So again, before we continue, context matters, amen? All right. Um, I want to just quickly call out something, uh, call out an abuse of this text. Um, This is not a proof text for marriage evangelism. You know what a marriage evangelism is? It's this idea as a believer, that you allow yourself to marry someone who is not a believer because you love them and they're just sweet and special in hopes that once you get together, that you're going to be able to point them to Jesus. They're going to come around to this thing, right? So so a a believer 
marries an unbeliever and hopes you're going to influence them, you're going to bring them to Christ. That's marriage evangelism. And church, that is grossly just unbiblical. Just don't do that. That is not what is in view here. Paul meant it when he said in 2 Corinthians 6, hey, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He meant that. Marriage evangelism is not what's on display here in this text. Again, this is where context means so much. Because like we said, these were new believers. These were new believers who had come to faith after they had gotten married, yet their spouse had not. They were, in Paul's words, unequally yoked, but it wasn't a result of marriage evangelism. It was the result of the Spirit of God, the gospel, gripping one of the spouse's hearts and the other spouse not yet having responded to the gospel. Many of you have been in this situation. Many of us have been here. And some of us might be here right now. And, and Paul is speaking directly to this in verse 12. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And then Paul continues, verse 14, as he unpacks this, for the believing husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. So in order to understand this, key to understanding this verse is, is understanding the word holy. In context here, made holy. This is huge. Uh, the term holy is a term meaning to be set apart or sanctified. And before we dig into what specifically that means, let me just tell you resoundingly what it does not mean. Made holy does not mean justify. Uh, this is so important to see here because hear me, you cannot save your spouse. You cannot save your kids. Salvation, justification, being made right before God, being forgiven, being made a son and a daughter of God. This is a work of God and God alone through Christ and Christ alone, period. And as much as we would be able, we would want to be able to save them, to get their eyes to open, to just open their eyes to the beauty of the gospel, as much as that is our heart, we can't. However, Paul here is revealing something. Although we cannot save them to the gospel church, we surely can expose them to it. We can expose them to it. The easiest example that I could think of to kind of see this is the way that we practice baby dedications. So baby dedications, um, are we saving these babies by doing this? No, I wish we were. I've dedicated all three of mine. I wish, I wish we could, but that's not our job. 
And so what this is about when we come and we do baby dedications is that this is a collective commitment here from both the parents and the church to come around this child and to expose them to the gospel relentlessly. To just set them apart in that way. To bless them in that way. In a very similar way, that is what is happening here in our text. Paul is saying, look, don't abandon them because you being there, you being there exposing your spouse to the gospel, um, exposing your spouse to a transformed life in Christ, exposing your spouse to that, exposing your kids to that, bringing Christ into your home, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Whereas they wanted to run from this in response to the gospel and wanting to follow Jesus better by running from that, Paul here says, no, 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 no. Lean into this in response to the gospel. Lean into this. And for many in this room, this is your story. And oh, I wish that we could just take today, open mic, and just come up here and hear these stories played out in our church. I've heard many of them. Many of you, whether you were the believing spouse, the unbelieving spouse, the child, many of you are here because of the way God used someone in your home to be a light. And praise God for this. Praise God that God works that way. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. For every person in this situation here today, that is my prayer for you in your house, that God uses you as an instrument of gospel exposure in your home. But as incredible as it is when God works this way, it does not always work out that way. And many of us in this room can also relate to that. I want us to look together at verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In this verse, Paul deals specifically with the pain of desertion. When an unbelieving spouse decides to leave and to walk away. In a very real way, this is fulfilling Jesus' prophecy in Luke 12. When Jesus said, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division for from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three, and they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Desertion here is the division foretold by Jesus himself in Luke 12, and it is absolutely heartbreaking. Paul reminds us 
We are not able to change another person's heart. You cannot change their heart. You cannot force them to see the gospel the way that you do. And if they decide to leave, even in that leaving, Paul reminds us desertion is not slavery. Even in this, Paul reminds us God has given us, called us to peace in Jesus Christ. We do not know if, when, or how God might choose to use us somehow to show himself to an unbelieving spouse. And this is one of the reasons Paul says, hey, don't run, stay. And if you're here and this is you, don't give up. Honor the Lord by loving your spouse well for his glory. Get on your knees and pray for them. Pray for them continually and expose them to the gospel every chance that you get. But in the case that they choose to walk away, Paul encourages these believers here in Corinth to let them go. Because there's no certainty that even after everything, after all the loving and after all the praying and exposure to the gospel, that they're going to see and believe the gospel of Christ. There's no certainty that their heart is going to hear this and change toward the gospel because we, again, cannot change their heart. Now, I want us to look together at verse 17 as we finish out Paul's thought here. But before we do, there are three things that I want us to see very quickly as we get to verse 17. First is to those who are not yet married. Theology matters in marriage. Theology matters in marriage, and it matters greatly because this following Jesus thing is not just this, hey, tack that in on the end of this, this thing kind of thing in our lives. It is all-encompassing. It, is, it changes everything. And if you are here and you are considering marrying a person who does not see this, stop. As a pastor, as some, I, I love you. Stop. Don't do this. I, you, I know you love them, but theology, what you believe about Jesus Christ matters in your marriage. It changes everything. It changes the way you look and you see your world. It changes the way you see each other. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see our marriages. And if, church, before you get married, do everything in your power to lay the groundwork to build your foundation on Christ and Christ alone. Theology matters in marriage. And second, for those who are married and you're a follower of Jesus, marriage is selfless. Marriage is selfless. The driving focus for a Christian spouse is selfless love. To point your spouse to Jesus to, to love them as Christ loved us, that they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ if they have not already, and that they would grow in their faith in Jesus Christ if they have. To say this more clearly, your happiness is not the main point of your marriage. Ultimately, the main point of your life is Christ, and as a result, he is the main point of your marriage. And too many marriages have been destroyed completely by selfishness, 
We are called to deny ourselves and follow Christ. We're called to die to ourselves and to give ourselves sacrificially to our spouses. To love each other the way Christ loved us, giving himself for us, to count each other as more significant than we count ourselves. That is our call. And, and we are encouraged, praise God, that as we do this, he will not let us go. And that God is in the business of exalting those who choose to humble themselves. And third, third, um, for anyone here who has navigated through divorce, whether you have been, quote unquote, in the right or in the wrong, and this was on you, this was sin, and if you were here, you know, and you've, wherever you may be, hear me. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. For anyone here who has gone through this, anyone here who is going through this, we know that our charge, our invitation, hear me, is to come to Jesus Christ. To come to him, to repent of our sins, to come to him. And not only is there forgiveness for our sins in Christ. Not only have I promised you have not outsinned the cross of Christ, not only that, but there is restoration and there is healing in him. When the Bible says there is therefore no condemnation for you who are in Jesus Christ, God meant that. These aren't just words, it is the truth that is ours in the gospel of Christ. And church, this leads us so perfectly into the conclusion. And I love, I love this. I want us to read this together, listen to this. Coming off of, uh, I guess, three weeks kind of talking about marriage and sex and singleness and divorce, right? Taking all of that in, listen to how Paul is going to go and bring this together. Listen to this. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Right here, Paul's instruction, church, lead the life that God has given you. Be faithful where he has placed you. Paul says, this is really what matters. Um, Paul says, circumcision, uncircumcision, wrong question. Wrong question. For us today, married, single, divorced, wrong question. Better question, are you faithful where you are today, where God has placed you today in your season, in every circumstance, every stage? Are you faithful to what God has called you to? As, as a man, as a woman, as a spouse, as a mom, as a dad, are you faithful where God has you right now? In this season and this circumstance, are you faithful? And I love this, how Paul builds. Verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. 
where you were, where you a bondservant when called, uh, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to that opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. You who were bought with a price do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, um, hear me. I say this to my boys all the time. Eyes and hands. Eyes and hands. Hear me, there is no season, no next season, no condition, no next stage, no marriage, no divorce, nothing that will make you more complete, that will make you more loving or more lovable to God. Nothing will make you more complete. Uh, Nothing will make God love you any more than he does. No outward condition will make you be able to love God better than you do. We can buy the lie so often, and this is what it sounds like. Oh, if I could just get there. Oh, if I could just get that. If I could just get married, find that guy, find that girl. Oh, if I could just get out of this marriage. If I could just get to that next season, then, then it will all come together. Then, God's going to love me more. Then I will have my act together. Then I will be able to follow him better. Then, then, then. And, and our, we focus our hearts forward to the then. And here Paul's call to all of us together is to look in front of you and be faithful right where you are in the life that God has given you. Be faithful right where you are. Think about our context again, church. Think about it. Um, The church was asking and starting to believe, should they leave their spouses, stop having sex with their spouses so that they could be better followers of Christ? In other words, they were looking ahead to what they needed to do, that next condition, that next season, that next stage, as Paul puts it. And Paul says, no, you have missed it. God has placed you right where you are. It has never been about any outward condition. It has always been about our inward condition of our heart in Christ. And God has placed you right where you are. Be faithful. Singles in the room, you are not an accident. Be faithful right where you are. There is no person or no next season that will complete you. God has made you and placed you right where you are so that you can bring glory to him in only a way that you can do. Be faithful. For those married, you are not an accident. Be faithful right where you are. Be faithful to your spouse. There is no next season that is going to complete you. God has made you and he has given you this grand and beautiful task of loving your spouse well. Be faithful to that. For those divorced, you are not an accident and what happened in your life was not an accident either. And whatever your past has looked like up to this moment, be faithful where you are right now. 
Don't look for anything outside of Christ to complete you because God has made you. He, is, he loves you. He has not abandoned you. He has not lessened his love for you. You are right where you need to be to bring glory to God exactly the way he designed you to do it. For those divorced and remarried, be faithful where you are. Are you getting the theme? Be faithful to your spouse. You have an opportunity laying out right in front of you right now to love your spouse and to anchor your relationship in Christ. Be faithful. God has created you and has given you this task. You ready? Love your spouse well. Be faithful. To those widowed, you are not an accident. You are loved more than you can even imagine. If there is one thing we see in scripture all throughout is that God's love and his heart for you is on display. And from that, understand you don't need anything outside of, yourself, outside of Christ to complete you because God has made you and he loves you. He has not abandoned you and he has not lessened his love toward you. You are right where you need to be to bring glory to God in only a way that you can be faithful. Together, church, wherever you are, wherever you are, let us be faithful right where God has you for his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess and we just take this moment to just repent before you because you are God and we know through Christ that we have and we walk in the forgiveness of our sins. Would you forgive us and would you cleanse us like you have promised to do? And Lord, would you give us the ability to be faithful right where we are? Lord, you have, have placed each and every one of us exactly where we are. Would you help us to be faithful, to pursue you over all else in whatever season or stage we are in this morning? Lord, show us in this moment how we can glorify you in it for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.